Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a place for sharing stories. And today we have the lovely Christine Boy here um, to share with us her story that she is very much still living out. She shares very early on in this episode how she has stage four metastatic breast cancer. She actually discovered that she had breast cancer um, and then found out that she was pregnant with her third daughter just a few days later. Her story is a hard one. It is hard. I'm, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat. It is a hard story, but yet I felt so deeply encouraged while I was talking to her. Christine is such an uplifting person. She does so much work, um, in terms of caring for her soul and being intentional, not to let fear and bitterness take over. There is something for everyone in this episode. This is not just for people who may be battling a health concern at this time. This isn't just for people with cancer. This is for any of us. She, as I said, just has such an appropriate, encouraging, and amazing outlook about her faith and God. And she's so honest about the roller coaster that her faith has been on. I could go on and on. I was just so honored to get to talk to her and to have her share her story with me today. I know that you're going to be blessed by this conversation. Christine, welcome to So What Else. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so it's nice to meet you. I've been, you know, obviously I've listened to you speak before on other podcasts and I've seen you on Instagram and stuff like that, but it's nice to put a face to the name, you know? I agree. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, so you are in Chicago, right? I am. Yes. I live just south of downtown. No accent though. <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I mean, that's a good comment, I guess. Um, I've lived here my whole life, so I wouldn't know if I have an accent, but I appreciate you saying I don't. <laughs> do people say that you do like when you're on like different, like when you talk to people from elsewhere? Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. It sort of depends on where they're from. I think, um, <laughs> I don't hear anything. I don't hear like, cause isn't Chicago, like, isn't like the joke, like Chicago, Chicago. Mm -hmm. How do you say it? Chicago. Yeah, that's how I say it. Yeah. Good. We're Love on the same that. Page. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a mom of three girls. Three girls, nine, seven, and three. Okay. So I'm just a little behind you. I have three girls. I'm six, four, and then a newborn. Like she's wow. four months old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. you. So, yeah. you know, it's crazy. Three is like a lot of kids. It's so many kids. Yeah. It's so many kids. Like, and I notice it when we're out and about, like, I'm like, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're, we're officially outnumbered. I have heard from friends who have like, well, I have a good friend who has seven kids. Oh, she's like, after three, it's like kind of same, same. <laughs> I so feel like we're at the that. precipice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, not that I'm going to have more kids because we're done, but I thought about that. Like, I was like, you know what? You could see how after three, it's just like, what's another one? You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, there's a lot of people here yep. already. We already have know? the bigger car. Or, exactly. You know, yeah. Totally. It's like, yeah. you, we already have the minivan. You know what yep. I mean? It's like, what's one more? There's really, you know, <laughs> my friends who went for the fourth, that was kind of like their logic. They're like, whatever. Like our life is already chaos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just what, what's the other child? That's right. <laughs> but all the girls, I mean, so much estrogen. 
Yes, I know. Our our dog is a female. Oh and, my gosh. You know, our husband's been outnumbered from the beginning. Uh, we finally, last year, uh, last fall, almost a year ago, got a uh, male cat. Um, okay. So <laughs> we have a That's kitten. nice for him. Yeah. Yeah. But, Has um, your husband like really like solidified his role as a girl dad or is was every time was he like, this will be a boy, this will be a no, boy? He actually was convinced every time it was a girl. Um, so oh, okay. he definitely solidified his, yeah, his place, his position. No, so my husband too, like our first, he was like, this is a boy, this is definitely a boy. You know <laughs> what I mean? But then it wasn't. And then every time after that, he really was like, no, I really like being a girl dad. Like I, right. I'm like want to just ride this like girl dad all the way. Yes. And that's, you know, for whatever reason, our friend groups, it seems that for the most part, we just make the same gender, you know, it's like three girls, girls, two boys. So, and it's not, you know, a hundred percent, but we really just, yeah, rode that train. (laughs) It is kind of crazy. We do laugh. A lot of our friends have all girls and it really is kind of funny because we're like, how does that happen to all of us? Like that there's so many girls, like it's just so interesting, but amazing. It's a lot of emotions. So why don't you just introduce yourself to everybody? You know, obviously we know your name, we know you're a mom, but just kind of introduce yourself to us and then we can kind of get into your story a little bit. Sure. Um, So Christine Boy, I'm 36 years old and I've lived in Chicago my whole life. Um, I'm a first generation college student, uh, college graduate. So that was fun. And I have stage four breast cancer. Um, Not something I ever planned to be true of myself or, you know, to, to say, but it is still a really important part of my everyday. Um, it's definitely a part of who I am and how I spend my time and how I see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been with my husband for 18 years this fall. So oh, wow, we met obviously early on in college and yeah. Uh, yeah, we've been together now more than half my life. So pretty mm-hmm. wild. That's amazing. So why don't we start at the beginning? Because, you know, obviously, like you said, you have stage four breast cancer. Take us back to the very, very beginning of that journey. I know that you were married. You had two kids. Take us there. Yeah. So um, it was the very beginning was New Year's Eve 2018 going into 2019. Um, We had two daughters and we went to, as Chicagoans often do, we went to Wisconsin Dells for um, a little weekend away. And without, you know, I wasn't doing a breast exam or anything. I just happened to like place my hand on my chest in such a way that I noticed a lump that I knew wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. And that sort of started, um, Yeah. I mean, I didn't assume right away that it was anything to be super concerned about. Uh, I reached out to a good friend of mine who is a naturopathic physician and said, you know, what would you do first? You know, I have no family history. I don't have reason to believe this is anything super concerning. Um, So for someone my age, which at the time was 32, you know, what do I do? And she recommended thermography, um, which is not diagnostic. Um, It is adjuvant to, you know, mammograms or ultrasounds or things like that. Uh, so I did, I did that. And for whatever reason, nothing showed up. Um, Mm -hmm. I did that in January. And then again, in April as a follow-up 
uh, and nothing showed up, but I, I just sort of felt like it was growing. I felt like it was concerning me, you know, it was distracting me. And so, um, I reached out to a functional medicine doctor I was working with at the time and said, Hey, could you write me a script to get an ultrasound? Like, I just think Mm -hmm. I should get a closer look at it. And, uh, that came back abnormal. And Mm -hmm. so I was referred to a a breast surgeon, um, and got a biopsy. And before I even left the room, the the doctor said to me, you know, I'm pretty sure 50 to 80%, if I had to put a number on it, that this is cancer. Okay. So that was really confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, as someone who has for most of my adult life, uh, really, pursued a a healthy lifestyle. Um, you know, I had a lot of unlearning to do from my childhood and I Mm -hmm. felt like I, you know, was really on a path of wellness. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely alarming, um, Mm -hmm. and, and a big surprise. Well, and you were so young. That's not, I mean, I don't think that they start telling people like you should go get a mammogram until you're like 40. Anyway. Oh, no, exactly. 45 even. I mean, I think it's the, you know, um, cancer society has changed its recommendations over the years, but yeah, it's definitely not 32. Right. Um, And especially with no family history, like there would be no reason that you would have thought this is something I should like have in the back of my mind. Right. Exactly. I knew, yeah, I wasn't aware of a genetic Mm -hmm. mutation or anything that would have sort of had it on my radar previously. So it was, it was definitely, I mean, it was a shock for sure. Um, so maybe two days later they called, you know, and, and confirmed it, but uh, before I left the the doctor's office, I was, you know, in my heart, I sort of knew. You mostly knew. And then they confirmed it quickly thereafter was, I mean, I get, I can only, imagine, but what was that like hearing, like as a 32 year old, very young, healthy, you know, mom, like, oh, by the way, you have cancer. Like, what was that like (laughs) for you? I mean, it just, it was so, it was so confusing. Mm -hmm. I think there was just a lot about those moments and the days around it that are really foggy because Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know anyone who was, mm-hmm. you know, my age who had navigated cancer before. Um, you know, I I had this friend who I had reached out to when I found the lump that I, you know, knew had a lot more medical knowledge than I did, but was certainly not an oncologist. And so I just felt pretty lonely right away. You know, mm-hmm. I just felt like, whoa, I don't know what to do or who to talk to about this. And there was a lot of urgency that um, they, I think, put on me, you know, around mm-hmm. the decisions. And I think that was really hard, you know, mm-hmm. when you don't feel like you have enough information to make these really big decisions, like, mm-hmm. am I going to do a lumpectomy or a mastectomy? Am I going to yeah. do therapy or not? You know, there was just a lot of stuff that didn't necessarily feel like a choice, but I did have the wherewithal to advocate for myself and ask questions. Um but still felt rushed in those, you know, conversations and decisions to like, you know, this is really urgent. And I think that's one thing that I don't really think was true. I don't think it was urgent, you know, at the time it was 
stage one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was uh, very small. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have benefited from having more time and more support to do the research that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do think I might have made different decisions than I did back then. But, you know, you do the best with what you have in those moments. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that's sort of typical of, you know, mm-hmm. a cancer diagnosis. And also you feel a lot of urgency and just big emotions around something like this anyway. And so there, everything's just heightened. Everything just feels really scary mm-hmm. uh, and really uncertain. And so totally. that's a lot of what I felt. <laughs> totally. I mean, uh, it's obviously not the same situation at all, but my mother has been battling brain cancer for the last few years. And I just like, the beginning, especially it's just so intense, you know, like when you're, when you're hearing this and there's so many decisions to be made and you're like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. You know what I mean? But it's like, Mm -hmm. so you're like, I have no idea, but you don't want to just like blindly take someone's word for it. You want to get second opinions, but then what happens when the second opinions like disagree with each other, then, okay, we need a tiebreaker. Like it's very, very, very stressful. Yeah. And there's just a lot to consider. Mm-hmm. And again, like we're not doctors and it's hard. It's just hard, you know, and yeah. everyone has a different opinion and you talk to people and people have had different experiences. Exactly. So such the gamut of experiences, like a wide spectrum um, of how you were told or, yes. you know, what resources you were provided immediately after or, you know, depending on what kind of support system you have already outside of you know, just you and your doctor um, yep. or the team that's that's caring for you. So, yes, it's um, <laughs> it's really a, like I said, it's a kind of a foggy experience. Yeah. Um, part of that too is that I didn't know it at the time, but I was I was pregnant, <sighs> um, and I found that out maybe five days after the initial diagnosis. So <sighs> that was. Um, I mean, I think in many ways it, it changed everything about how I proceeded Yeah, um, in how I thought about the decisions I was making, but also I, everything's intertwined in such a way that I can't, you know, separate, you know, the early part of that pregnancy from yeah. the cancer experience. And, um, and I think that that also just makes for more sort of confusion, uh, totally exhausted and you know sick well, and, and then it's I'm sure hard to know the things that you're feeling is that what is this is this from pregnancy is this from cancer is this from something I'm doing to treat the cancer? like what is this exactly. what was your initial thought when you realized that you were pregnant and you had just found out that you had cancer like how did you process that yeah I mean I I like to make meaning out of things I think as humans we do but I think it was both uh, devastating mm-hmm. um, because there was just, I mean, there's never certainty in a pregnancy, right? right? But just knowing that I was going to need to do something mm-hmm. um, for the cancer that could potentially put, you know, the fetus at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a desired pregnancy. So there was also yeah. joy, you know, of there course. was um, gratitude but I think I just remember being like, okay, God, like, why? Yeah. This is just wild. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this can't possibly be the story that you want to write with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, 
feeling like there's got to be a reason or Mm -hmm. not a reason, but you know, there's, there's going to be, I I had a sense that there was grace, I guess, too, even Mm -hmm. though in the moment it didn't feel that way, but I, I was able to at least have that, um, foresight, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Now, had you, prior to finding out about the pregnancy, had you already decided on like a way that you were going to move forward treatment wise, or was that still up in the air? That was still up in the air. It was actually the morning of, I was going in to get a diagnostic mammogram. So they were sure it was cancer, but they wanted to make sure that there weren't other Mm -hmm. places. Um, so it was that morning that I took a pregnancy test because I was, you know, at that point late. Mm-hmm. And so after the diagnostic mammogram, I was going to meet with the surgeon to talk about the plan. So it was, ended up, you know, being sort of simultaneous yeah. in terms of the conversation. Um, so I sort of had a sense of what the options were, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, once I found out that I was pregnant, it felt like okay, those options are certainly going to narrow or change mm-hmm. in some way. And so it's a completely different conversation. How did people in the medical community react to you being pregnant? Mm-hmm. Like, were, you know what I mean? Were they just kind of like, well, you can't do this? It's a great question. Um, well, speaking of like second and third opinions, I mm-hmm. did end up doing that partly mm-hmm. because the surgeon that I was meeting with was like far into the suburbs. And the reason uh-huh. I got to her initially was just, was a recommendation. I had never planned to, you know, right. see, have a long-term relationship with this woman. Right. So, yeah, I mean, she, I think she was shocked and, you know, um, asked some questions like, do you, you know, is this desired pregnancy? Do you plan to keep the baby? And then my second opinion, uh, the oncologist I met with was very adamant that I, I should get an abortion. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had very clearly said that that was not something I was interested in. And so it was really hurtful. And and I was very angry at the end of that, that meeting. Mm -hmm. So there were definitely, I think, um, varying opinions on, you know, what I should do or what was available to me. Yeah. Um, I think generally, you know, most of the people I spoke with, once they asked what I wanted mm-hmm. were supportive and, you know, were open to that. Um, just this one doctor was, was not. Yeah. Yeah. And that I'm sure that was really hard because you're also in a very, very fragile state. Exactly. Yes. I just, I was sort of mind blown that she mm-hmm. was so brazen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I think part of that is that, like you had said, you know, it's, it's overwhelming, it's intense and, I'm not a doctor. And so I think there is a sense of when someone is in a fragile, vulnerable state, you know, maybe the doctors feel like, well, what I say goes, you know, I I was fragile and vulnerable and also wasn't willing to, to just take absolutely what they said as, as the letter of the law. And so I think that was, um, I don't know, maybe she wasn't used to being challenged or whatever. Um, And I I really think, yeah, I think every doctor has a different bedside manner for sure. Mm -hmm. But also um, I I really have to believe that everyone wants everyone to do well. And they really felt like that would help, you know, with my Mm -hmm. outcome. Um, But it just, it wasn't an option for me. It didn't feel an option for me. It was a a baby that we really wanted. Absolutely. So then how 
did you decide to proceed? So it's like, you have cancer, you are pregnant, you obviously are concerned about the health of your baby while also not wanting to do nothing, I'm sure. So yes. So my cancer was also, is also um, hormone receptor positive. So obviously when you're pregnant, hormones (laughs) change exponentially grow in the body. And so um, that was part of the concern for sure. Um, I ultimately decided to do a mastectomy instead of a lumpectomy. Um, It felt like it made sense to me in that moment to just cut it off and get it all out. Um, But I had pretty firmly decided that I wasn't going to proceed with chemotherapy while pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, So I opted to do the surgery. It was maybe eight or nine weeks pregnant when I did it. So there were a lot of risks with that, you know, going under anesthesia. Um, And yeah, I mean, everything that goes with that. But my surgeon, who I ultimately decided to go with, was gracious and allowed me to get an ultrasound the next day and Mm -hmm. check on the baby. And that was, you know, allowed me to have some peace of mind because baby looked great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I, I always had, you know, anxiety about the well-being of, of the baby really up until, you know, the 20 week ultrasound when we, we saw that everything was okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was just a lot of uncertainty and, and risk involved with that. Absolutely. And so then you're recovering from a major surgery while pregnant Mm -hmm. with two small children. Yeah. (laughs) I can't even imagine that. Yes. And yeah, it was, um, again, like everything just feeling so intertwined, you know, I felt sick because I was pregnant, not necessarily, you know, I felt like the recovery went okay from the surgery, but it was all just at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was scary, you know, kind of going against what the recommendation was, which as soon as I got into my second trimester, they did want me to start chemotherapy. Oh, okay. And that I just... I just chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, about five months out from the surgery, so I would have been about 30 weeks pregnant, I had a follow-up with my surgeon mm-hmm. and they did find a tumor in the mastectomy scar um, that told us that the cancer you know, was back or you mm-hmm. know, regrowing. And at that point, I felt pretty backed into a corner to... Mm-hmm. Um, make the decision to to go forward with chemotherapy while pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I was terrified of chemotherapy in general, but certainly um, while pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, I did feel, I think at that point, a little bit more confident that, you know, the baby was... Yeah, you're further along. Yes, exactly. You know, they assured me that the baby would be okay, but... um, Okay. So that's what I was going to ask. So is they will, do they have research to back? Like, they're like, okay, this will not impact the baby. Like, can they tell you that? Or is it kind of like a, like a writ, like, well, we'll see, you know? Yep. I mean, the way that it was communicated to me was that this is safe and baby will be fine. Okay. Um, I will say three days after she was born, she had to meet with a pediatric cardiologist to have her heart checked. Um, that was never brought up in advance. Right. Uh, the yeah, the chemotherapy drugs I was on were cardiotoxic. Okay. So it it felt a little 
like there, there wasn't a hundred percent truth telling. Yeah. Um, but I think at that point it, it still felt even with the risks that I mm-hmm. was, you know, sure there, there were, yeah. it felt like the next right thing. Uh, Absolutely. Do, even though it was the last thing I wanted to do. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you respond to the chemo? I mean, I know that that is brutal. Yeah. So honestly, uh, you know, and I only have this one experience, but Mm -hmm. I felt like it, it went okay. I really Mm -hmm. felt like my body handled it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was working with, um, you know, naturopathic physicians, functional medicine doctors to, do a lot of other things outside to, you know, make sure that my body was staying healthy. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, risks with weight loss and loss yeah. of appetite and nausea, vomiting, you know, a lot of those things. And I, I really felt like my side effects were, were minimal. Um, and that, that was encouraging, even though yeah. it was, you know, I, I knew I was still, you know, receiving poison into my mm-hmm. veins. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a theory about, you know, being pregnant and having mm-hmm. a lot more blood in the body, perhaps that, that yeah. dilutes some of the side effects. I don't know. Yeah. Um, because it was after I gave birth, I continued chemotherapy and toward the end, the pandemic was happening. And oh. so they did have to change my, my treatment plan a little bit. And ultimately what ended up happening uh, was they shortened it and gave me two triple doses at the very oh, yeah. end. Um, and those were, those were rough. Um, yeah. I mean, which makes sense. You go from an hour infusion to a three hour infusion, yeah. um, you know, literally triple the dose, but it did wrap up, um, you know, the time that I needed to be in the hospital. It was a lot shorter um, I was getting a little bit of neuropathy in my fingertips too, which can happen. And so, you know, they did the best they could and then sort of said, like, we want you to stay home. We don't yeah. unnecessarily be in the hospital. Um, and then I had another surgery and radiation after that. So it was okay. still a long road even after that. Um, my daughter was born in February, beginning of February, and I wrapped up active treatment uh, with radiation in mid to late August. How, logistically speaking, how did you do that with a newborn and two <laughs> other kids? Like, what was your support system like? Yeah. I can't imagine. So, it's a great question. Um, honestly, I think the the pandemic ended up serving us mm. uh, in the fact that my husband was working from home full time, um, we had family, friends, you know, help with childcare so that my husband could take me to the hospital. You know, I did have some other friends, you know, drive me. Radiation is every day. And so, um, but my husband wasn't allowed to come in with me. So it was kind of a drop-off pickup situation. Mm-hmm. So that was probably one of the hardest parts of my active treatment was, um, you know, going in by myself and mm-hmm. my, my experience of radiation was, it felt very dehumanizing. It was, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was probably the hardest part for me. Mm-hmm. One, I was away from my newborn, um, yeah. but also, yeah, be, having to be by myself and yeah. 
hundred percent of the time being the youngest person, you know, in the waiting room and yeah, that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, our church community, you know, friends, family, uh, were really there to, to help make it happen. My husband's parents came in and stayed, you know, Mm -hmm. for a week or two at a time. Mm -hmm. We really had, um, a lot of support that made it possible. Mm. Okay. So, that wrapped up in August. Yep. Your active treatment. And then you were like, quote unquote, good. Like you right. were declared cancer free. Like, yep. Quote unquote, good. Yeah. Um, they say, so I started the day after I finished radiation, I started an aromatase inhibitor, um, which, you know, helps keep estrogen low in the body um, because my cancer was uh, hormone receptor positive. Um, but outside of that and, every six month scans, which was my choice. Actually, they wanted me to do annual mammograms. I requested not to do mammograms one, because they're actually not very accurate for dense breasts. Um, and two, uh, because the, the literal squishing of the breast, um, if there is cancer can make it spread. Really? Um, There's some risks involved, um, with mammograms. They're not completely benign. So I requested, you know, is there anything else that we can do? And so uh, we landed on my surgeon and I doing every six months whole breast ultrasound and whole breast MRI. Okay. Um, didn't have the radiation piece of it either. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it felt actually good to have more frequent scans. Totally. Um, now that said, you know, they're only checking the left remaining breast. They're not... Okay. The rest of my body. Um, so I was cancer free for about two years until I ended up, um, in the ER with chest pain, uh, which ended up leading up, you know, to a lot of other scans mm-hmm. and finding out that I had a large pleural effusion, which is fluid on the lung. Um, and then they drained it and did cytology on it and found out there were, there were breast cancer cells in the fluid. Mm-hmm. And so that led to more scans. Um, and then we found that it was on my liver, um, in my skull, the, the bone of my skull and oh. my lung. Um, and that was last fall. So last September, September of 2022. Okay. So less than a year ago, coming up on a year. Yep. Okay. I mean, what was that? How, 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 what was that like getting that information? Yeah. So in many ways, and I don't want to speak, you know, on behalf of all cancer patients, but I really feel like a stage four diagnosis is the absolute worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, that could happen. Right. I mean, they, hope that the treatment they give you is curative. Um, but there's a lot of risks involved with cancer treatment. It causes other issues. And the fact that there really was no whole body scanning. I mean, there was, there's a chance that it was, it had already, I mean, it wasn't in my lymph nodes when they did the mastectomy, but mm-hmm. there's a chance that it, it had already spread and, um, it could have been caught earlier perhaps. Mm. Um, but you know, we didn't, we didn't know that. Right. So, I mean, it, it changed, it changed everything in our Mm -hmm. lives. Um, I mean, for many people, you know, especially people who either 
have not experienced cancer themselves, but maybe just know of what's on the TV or in, you know, mm-hmm. books or whatever, or they have people in their lives that have had stage four. Um, it's, it, people feel like it's a death sentence, you know, it's, um, it's not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there was a lot of fear, a lot of, um, grief, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really felt like I continued to pursue a healthy lifestyle in an even more, you know, disciplined way um, mm-hmm. and felt good in my body. That was really a confusing part, too, is that mm-hmm. I, you know, felt strong and felt yeah. it, it's it's such a strange experience to have someone tell you, like, you're very sick when you don't yeah. feel sick mm-hmm. um, and or look sick, you know? Yeah. Um, but I knew that there were things about, well, one, the conventional route didn't work for me, um, in, in the way that, you know, we had all hoped that it would. Yeah. And there were also things that I felt like I would have done differently if I didn't feel that urgency that I had mentioned previously. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to do things differently this time. I felt like now's the time, you know, to invest the money and the energy into really figuring out, um, you know, as best I could with a care team that I trusted, um, a different plan. Um, also isn't a ton that they offer you as a stage four patient. Um, there are some drugs, um, but typically they don't offer you chemotherapy again. Really? Um, It's sort of like, we just, the medicine we're going to give you, we hope will slow the progress, but that's kind of the best that we can give you. Okay. And, um, that just, I wasn't happy with that. No, of course not. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, I'm yeah. like, I've got, I've got three kids. I am yeah. 35 years old. I'm, I'm not really excited, uh, about just taking a pill and crossing my fingers. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I did some research and found a, cancer center, an integrative cancer center in California that really intrigued me. Um, and actually that same friend who's an naturopathic physician that I reached out to initially mm-hmm. told me that some, uh, one of her patients had been there and mm-hmm. after a recurrence had a really positive experience and was in remission and doing mm-hmm. well. And I think that was really what I needed to hear that it was mm-hmm. possible. Um, you know, I believe that the body can heal and, um, although cancer is very complicated and unpredictable and there's not really a, a clear path, you know, um, even an oncologist would tell you like, there's not a super clear path. Right. And each person is so individual, like we talked mm-hmm. about earlier. Um, so we're all just, you know, working together to, to try stuff and see how it goes. So I went out to California and um, did a consult there and just felt like they had a lot of the things that I would want to do in one place. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was far away from home, which yeah. wasn't ideal. Um, but some really dear friends got a fundraising page together for oh, it wow. and, um, helped raise quite a bit of money for us to not have to worry about the financial piece of it. Yeah. And ultimately, I decided to do one of the therapies that they offer, which is insulin potentiation therapy or low-dose chemotherapy, and um, started that last November Okay, and did it for about five months every week. So you traveled so, out to California from Chicago every week? 
just about, there was a six week period that we got to all go to California over the holidays. Um, So mid late December, after the girls got out of school, Mm -hmm. we all flew out to California. Um, We're sort of miraculously gifted a free place to stay for all of those six weeks. And um, my husband took, you know, FMLA took time off of work so he Mm -hmm. could care the girls. Um, Their school was supportive of, you know, them being out of school. Mm -hmm. The teachers provided work for them to do every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But outside of those six weeks that we were there all as a family, yes, I was commuting weekly um, to and from California. So that I'm sure that took an incredible toll. I mean, just (laughs) physically, mentally, emotionally. Now, you and your husband, were you always on the same page? Like, was he... Did you feel that you were always in agreement with how you wanted to move forward or not so much? That's a good question. Um, I think, I think he always defaulted to me Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, did that out of love. I don't think he always would have done the exact same thing that I would have done. And I think there were times that mostly that was out of fear. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't want to lose me and, um, going an alternative, you know, or an experimental route mm-hmm. has its risks as well. And so, um, I never, ever felt like we were at odds. I always felt like he was supportive of whatever decision I made and, and really defaulted to me to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, I mean, actions speak louder than words in terms of, you know, him holding down the fort at home and taking care of the kids um, while I was away for three, four or five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, you know, spoke volumes to me in terms of his support of my of decisions. Um, but I think it was probably, I know it was hard for him of um, to have me away, mm-hmm. uh, but also um, maybe to do, yeah, things that maybe he wouldn't have chosen for himself necessarily. Um, yeah. He t- be a little more risk averse and, mm-hmm. and more conservative in the decisions that he makes um, related to anything. But um, I think he also trusted me mm-hmm. uh, to, to make what he what I felt was the best decision for for me. Yeah. yeah. What about um, your kids? Like, how did you explain, or how do you still, you know, explain this to them? Or what is the conversation like? Yeah. So I. I've always been pretty honest with them. Um, I don't really know another way to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I've never shied away from using the word cancer around them. Um, When it was clear that it was a stage four diagnosis, we, you know, sat them down and said, you know, mommy's cancer is back. It spread to other parts of her body. And so she's going to be going to a lot more appointments. And when we knew I would be traveling, you know, she's going to be traveling to see, doctors in California. Um, and you know, I've used this particular phrase verbatim, which is, you know, mommy's doing this so that I can be around for longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I want to be, I want to be here, uh, for a long time. So without, you know, I think freaking them out or, you know, not, having a lot of emotion, you know, infused into how we told them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to be as clear and um, honest as possible with them so that they could understand the gravity of it, but also 
um, you know, that the reason that I was leaving and the reason that I was doing this was so that I could heal. Yeah. So that I could, um, yeah, be healthier. So are you still doing the California thing? Where are you in term with that? Great question. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, so it became pretty clear, um, in February, it was toward the end of February, my husband and I went to Florida for mm-hmm. sort of an alternative cancer conference. Mm-hmm. And this was the first thing we've attended together that I felt like we were learning alongside one another. A lot of the stuff I had read about or knew about myself, but I think it was really helpful for him to, you know, be learning it, not just from me, mm-hmm. um, but to be hearing from doctors around the world and absolutely um, meeting other patients and things like that. So that was a really, I think important thing that we did together. And it was after that, that I felt like I, I finally had the energy to, instead of just nose to the ground, like book the flights, book the rental cars, like, Mm -hmm. you know, show up to my appointments, do the things. I felt like I had energy and motivation to figure out a way to do what I wanted to do closer to home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew it wasn't sustainable long-term anyway. Sure. Yeah. Certainly financially, but also, yes, the travel, you know, mm-hmm. hour flight, um, there, um, three and a half, four hour flight home, yeah. you know, every week, uh, that's a lot on the body, mm-hmm. uh, being away, uh, driving in LA traffic for yeah. hours every day. Cause I was doing, um, not just the, the IVs and the treatment at the, cancer center in Irvine, but also driving to Santa Monica, which is like <laughs> an hour and oh. a half to two hours, depending on traffic oh. every single day that I was there. So oh my goodness. it was, it was a lot on, on yeah. me. And I don't think I realized how, how hard it was on me because I was just like, I'm go, go, go. It. Yeah. Yep. Um, until I had a consultation with a naturopathic oncologist in the suburbs of Chicago and it was, it would just was like, oh, the, there is another option. And I can't unknow that now. Mm. So like, I, I, I need to make this change. Mm-hmm. So it was hard. You know, I loved my care team there. I loved the people that I met. Um, and if I'm honest, I liked the rhythm of leaving home and going mm-hmm. to a place where I could focus a hundred percent on my healing um, and I'm sure it made you feel like you're doing something. You know what oh. I mean? Like there's something to like, yes. okay, like I'm, I'm like you said, I'm booking the flights. I'm getting the rental car. I'm getting there. I'm doing this. I'm coming. It feels good to be doing something. Yes. Like I am an action oriented person in general. Yes. So to yes. have that rhythm of being able to do that really felt important to me. Totally. And and yet there was this deep knowing that like, I can't do this forever. You know, mm-hmm. my, my girls miss me. My husband mm-hmm. is not going to be able to do this, you know, working full-time, caring for them full-time by himself um, forever. And mm-hmm. so um, when the opportunity presented itself to have a deeply simplified treatment plan and be much closer to home, um, I experienced a lot of relief. I experienced a lot of... Um, yeah, just sort of realizing like how heavy of a burden it was for me to be doing what I had been doing. And, you know, intellectually, it's easy to be like, well, that's crazy. Like, why were Mm -hmm. you doing that? Um, But it really felt like what I needed to be doing at that time. And then when I felt like it was no longer what I needed to be doing, 
Um, I just felt so grateful that I was able to find another option closer to home that I felt really good about. So now I'm, I have a naturopathic oncologist and a medical oncologist here, um, 30 minutes from my house and we're doing two new medicines. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've always done an integrative approach. I've never Mm -hmm. done exclusively, um, you know, no, no pharmaceuticals. Uh Um, so two new drugs, um, but also some holistic therapies like subcutaneous mistletoe, hyperbaric oxygen, oh yeah, um, and Chinese herbs, tinctures, supplements, diet, you know, all the rest of it too. Um, but I mean, I had been spending hours and hours, you know, hooked up to an IV totally. and doing a lot of other things that um, basically I was given permission to, to stop doing as consistently and um, really just focus on um, sort of these core therapies. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a real gift to mm-hmm. have such a simplified treatment plan. Mm-hmm. It's also terrifying, you know, to give yeah. up doing all of that. Totally. Um, and then integrating, you know, my life at home as a mom and a wife and a friend and, you know, a part of my community uh, while also figuring out like, well, then how do I also do these other things at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. like in the same day or within the same week? Um, so it, it took me a, a, about a month or six weeks to really get my feet under me and figure out like, oh, this feels good. You know, there was mm-hmm. just a lot about that season that I felt like I don't belong anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know um, what else I sh- could or should be doing, you know, mm-hmm. outside of showing up to my appointments and traveling. Um, and that was, that was hard. You know, there's a lot about your identity that gets, um, challenged and, um, changes in a lot of ways, you know, when this very large piece of your life, um, sort of takes over a lot of other pieces. And so not getting swallowed up by that, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not just a cancer patient, Mm -hmm. but also giving it the appropriate, you know, priority and weight in my life so that I could get, get better. And Mm -hmm. as I've, you know, said with my girls be around longer. Absolutely. You know, looking at you, you don't look sick, you know, how do you feel? Like, I'm sure people are wondering, like, how, how do you feel? Like what, yeah. what is this like for you physically? So <laughs> there's a lot of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that, you know, I am grateful that at this point, I don't have a lot of physical pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes with, with bone metastases in particular, you know, like I have a small compression fracture in my spine that they found on the last scan, you know, I'm not having pain with that yet. You know, there's okay. a good chance that at some point it, it will cause pain. Um, but of course my hope is to, to heal and, yeah. um, you know, for things to get better before that happens. Um, but I have been navigating, you know, um, migraine headaches and, you know, that can be from a thousand different things. You know, certainly my hormones are, yeah. A part of this. And I'm, you know, I take different medications to suppress my hormones and change my hormones. So that can be a part of it. Yeah. Um, also just be the physical stress, you know, of the tumor burden and that sort of thing. Um, I also last fall was in the ER a second time and um, ended up having a stent placed in my right ureter because there was a kink or a pinch okay. or something. Um, 
I'm so grateful last week they were able to remove it, which okay. was really, really good news. But I had a lot of urinary symptoms related to that. Um, mm-hmm. that were really uncomfortable and not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the fatigue from one medication in particular, you know, my white blood cell count is lower. I, you know, I'm neutropenic. I, I end up feeling pretty tired, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so there's definitely things that are a part of it that I can't ignore, you Uh know, some days are better than others. I would say most of the time I, you know, I feel pretty good. Um, I feel pretty normal, pretty healthy. Um, one of the things I do very part-time is, is teach fitness classes and I still, Mm -hmm. you know, have the energy and the the strength to do those things. It's amazing. Um, And I've been really grateful for that, especially coming home and feeling like, what do I, what do I do with my time? Like, who am I Um, being able to get back to that and to have that as sort of a, um, a thing that, you know, I enjoy Mm -hmm. and a creative outlet, but, um, yeah, I would be, I would be lying and not being honest with myself if I said that, you know, I feel amazing. Everything's great. Right. Um, Unfortunately that's, you know, not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I will say that, um, yeah, I think there's a lot about what I do outside of the medications that I take that I think really help with that. Mm. Um, and I think over the last four years, I've had to learn how to slow down and how to prioritize, um, you know, like true soul care, self-care. Yeah. Um, and also being okay with not producing as much, not doing as much, you know, mm. seeing myself as valuable outside of what I do for others. And listening to my body, you know, resting a lot more often. I've taken up like reading novels, which mm-hmm. like, I know a lot of adults do, but that yes. was just like, not something I really did um, mm-hmm. until I had cancer and mm-hmm. um, allowing myself to, you know, enjoy some very simple things like that. Yeah. I think all of that really does contribute to my overall, you know, well-being and feeling um, pretty good most of the time. Yeah. How has this whole experience impacted your faith? I know you are a person of faith. I mean, this is quite, quite a hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how, how does that impact you? Yeah, it's been a journey for sure. Um, I would say, you know, going back to the beginning four years ago, I think there, in the beginning, I felt like, okay, God, I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. And so I'm, I trust you in that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but then I think there was a long period of feeling like God was far away. And like, I didn't know, uh, how to interact with God. Um, and then the last, I would say year or so. And of course it's sort of coincided with, uh, the stage four diagnosis. And I've been a part of a really unique, um, and incredible experience called transforming community and have gone on quarterly retreats that infuse a lot of silence and solitude. Mm. Um, and I feel like that, has really allowed me to just be a soul in God's presence and Mm. realize um, 
that it's okay to need to be cared for and to, um, like I said, you know, not produce, not do as much and really separate, you know, who I am as a child of God, separate from, you know, who I am as, you know, Christine, the, this or Christine, the, that, um, and so very recently, like in the last couple of months, I finally feel like I'm in a place where I, I see mostly God's kindness and love and, and grace in this journey. That wasn't always the case. Um, I think I always was like holding my breath, like, you know, everyone's yeah. praying for healing and I'm praying for healing. Like that's the ultimate goal here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm now in a different headspace. I think I really, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to experience healing on this side of heaven. I don't know that, you know, I know I'm not guaranteed that. Mm-hmm. And although I believe the body's capable of it, and although that's really my deepest desire, I'm, I'm not like, I, I, I sense that regardless of the outcome, regardless of, um, you know, how my story ends, if you will, that there's a lot of deeper healing that God's doing in my heart and in my life in the midst, you know, of circumstances that are really less than ideal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in many ways, I feel like going to the depths in the way that I have has really served my, um, my faith and, and strengthened Mm -hmm. it and made it richer and, and deeper. And I think I, you know, engage scripture differently. I think I, um, engage people differently, um, having this pretty unique experience and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm definitely still in it and I'm definitely still living it out. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I'm not waiting to like get a no evidence of disease scan mm-hmm. anymore. I think I'm in a in a place where I I feel like God can and and is using me in the midst of my illness. And um, you know I'm not I'm not going to wait around mm-hmm. for that because um, it, it might not come. And I think I'm much more at peace with that now than I ever was. That's so beautiful. I mean, that made me feel emotional how you were speaking. You know, I just think that you have a really unique opportunity. I mean, that's uh, that's probably not an appropriate word for this situation, but just your outlook. Not many people have a chance to stop <laughs> and have the outlook that you do. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I do. And I think that that's like, I really do experience a deep sense of gratitude for it in that way. You know, obviously I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose it again. Of course. Um, And yet I think there is something that without it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be becoming, you know, who I'm going to be. And for that, I can be grateful. And, um, and I just pray that it, you know, and hope that it, um, trickles down to my, my girls, yeah. you know, um, that it builds resilience and faith in them, you know, to see me go through the ups and downs of this journey and, and still, you know, 
praise God and mm-hmm. still um, have joy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can only, I can only pray that that's true for them. Mm-hmm. Something I've heard you say now twice, I heard you say it in um, another interview I heard with you. And then here is that uh, you ask yourself, like, what's a, what's the deeper level of healing that you might be invited, you might be being invited into? Yeah. And like the first time I heard you say it, I paused and rewound Mm because I was just like, that's so interesting. I think that it would be very, very easy for you or someone in your situation. I know for me, if I was in your situation to focus solely on healing my physical body. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it really, really struck me that you were talking about and aware of wanting to heal yourself on other levels and deeper levels. Mm -hmm. What do you, can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah. Yeah. So I referenced it earlier, but I really felt like in the very beginning of this, like I, I just had a sense that it wasn't just about my physical body. And so I I don't know that I would have been able to articulate it in 2019, but now I really just, yeah, I get the sense that what God is up to is less about, you know, killing all the cancer cells and making them all healthy again, and more about like what this set of circumstances, like how it's a crucible for, like my soul's healing, my heart's mm. healing. Um, I have experienced trauma and loss and, and and grief. And I think we all have, you know, at some level, but I think, like you said, the opportunity, you know, or the, the space that I can allow myself to be in as a result of my circumstances is conducive for, for deeper healing. And I mean, that's just my prayer Mm -hmm. for myself um, is that I don't miss what God wants to do outside of, you know, my body. Like Mm -hmm. it is easy to focus on, you know, eating the right stuff and taking the right pills. And, and and I want a plus B to equal C, you know, I want this therapy to equal that I'm going to not have cancer anymore. I really want that. Mm -hmm. And, and yet, you know, I, I also believe that if I don't do anything, God can heal me. Mm-hmm. Or if I do all the right stuff, absolutely, you know, I might not be healed. Yes. And so, like, what else is there um, outside of just you know my body healing, which mm-hmm. I do still pray for? But yeah, um, yeah, just knowing that there's there's more going on, mm-hmm. and I and I believe that our bodies and our minds and our souls are all connected, and so. Totally you know, what sort of trauma am I holding in my body that allowed for the cancer to grow in the first place? You know, I think that, I think it's wise to look at ourselves as integrated persons Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have, we are a body, Mm -hmm. but we also, um, you know, are a soul. Mm -hmm. And so what is the relationship between the two and what, what healing might I be able to experience on this side of heaven? Yeah. Um, that's not just in the body. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. How can we pray for you? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, 
I think, you know, that's usually one of the first things that I go to is like for discernment and eyes to see, you know, what God's doing at a deeper level. Um, but also I think, yeah, just for, um, for us as a family to, (laughs) to continue to like lean into the hardness of this season, you know, um, I probably, you know, more than anyone want to just like move on, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I guess a prayer request would be that we would, you know, be closer and our relationships would be stronger as a result of this and not the other way around. You know, I pray that for my marriage. I pray that for my relationship with my daughters. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, for joy, I think, um, it's easy to, uh, let fear or pain or, you know, another hospital visit or whatever it is to really like suck the Mm -hmm. joy out of, um, sort of the day to day. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I want to be present and I Mm -hmm. want to experience the joy of being alive today. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all not promised tomorrow and, um, it just so happens I'm, I'm way more aware that, you know, might not, um, have as long as I had originally thought, but, um, yeah, staying present and experiencing joy in the today is definitely um, something you can pray for. Absolutely. How do you fight that? How do you fight letting fear, bitterness, things like that take over and swallow you up? So a few things. Um, When I was well in the two years of time when I, you know, had clear scans and was feeling pretty good after active treatment the first time, Um, I ended up really creating something that I needed in the moment, but ended up really serving a lot of other women too, which was a soul care coaching business. Mm. And, um, through that experience and through the relationships and the conversations that resulted from that, I built a toolbox, if you will, of, of things that I could do, um, regularly, um, but also in those, you know, acutely, you know, in those moments when I'm feeling like the wave is coming and I don't really know, you know, um, when it's going to end. And so, um, things like moving my body, um, Mm. you know, going for a walk, exercising, dancing, you know, doing things that there's a somatic element to it, um, was really helpful, is really helpful for me. Um, you know, uh, mindfulness. So being Mm -hmm. present, you know, looking around, what do I see, smell, taste, touch, um, and meditation, uh, you know, whether that's just focusing on my breath for a few minutes or, um, you know, doing a guided meditation, those sorts of things that like keep me in the moment and not, you know, five months, five years down the road, it's really, really helpful, um, Mm -hmm. for me. And, um, I think, I think those things and then therapy, you know, I've, I've happened to have the same, uh, therapist since the very beginning. I met her Mm -hmm. right after I found the lump in my breast in the beginning of 2019. So I've been grateful for, you know, that 
relationship throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think more than anything, she helps remind me like, this is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's grace. Yeah. It gets me out of my black and white thinking. Totally. Um, and I think that that is really, really helpful too. And then just connection, you know, like authentic, um, vulnerable, you know, honest connection with, with other people. And I mm-hmm. have incredible friends, um, and a community that I feel like I can, you know, be real with. Mm-hmm. And, that often helps to just to talk things out, um, and, or, you know, be reminded, um, that I'm not alone because Mm -hmm. I feel really lonely. And that's often when the thoughts take over is when I'm isolating or, um, yeah, just feel like no one else understands. Mm. I I could talk to you all day. I, I (laughs) like, seriously, I, I love everything that you're saying. I just think it's such a good reminder to everyone, you know, regardless of what their life circumstances might be. I just, I love your outlook and I am just so thankful that you took the time to share with us today. I feel, I feel oddly like encouraged by this conversation. You're just a very uplifting person. I really... I'm just very thankful that you came and shared with us today and we're going to be praying for you. I can commit to that. And I'm sure many people listening to this will do the same and I'll make sure to link everything um, in the show notes, like how to find you on Instagram and things like that. If people want to follow along with you, but we just thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to get to chat today. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Parable Productions.